Devoncast from Radio X. Hello and welcome to Devoncast, the weekly podcast looking at local and regional issues in Devon, the politics, the people and how decisions here affect how we live, work and enjoy our county. I'm Ollie Heptonstall. And I'm Rob Kershaw. This week we'll take a look at the tree-chopping drama in Plymouth that's led to a High Court injunction, reaction to the Chancellor's budget and its ramifications for Devon, and the campaign to save a South Devon hospital from closure. Joining us this week is Liberal Democrat Julian Brazil, opposition leader on Devon County Council, who also sits on South Ham's council. And there's no Philip this week, so we've replaced him with another one. East Devon's Conservative leader, Philip Skinner. Welcome to you both. And just to say, at the end of the show, we'll hear from one of the stars of Fisherman Friends, the musical, ahead of its return to Devon in April. Devon cast from Radio X. But first, more than 100 trees were dramatically chopped down in Plymouth city centre on Wednesday morning. The controversial regeneration scheme for Armada Way involves the felling of 129 mature trees, which will be replaced by 169 further down the line. It was paused in February to allow a consultation to take place, but on Tuesday, Plymouth City Council announced the work would restart after its leader, Conservative Richard Bingley, signed an executive order. The council said it's listened to residents' concerns and revise the scheme, but has to prioritise creating a smart, business-friendly, attractive city centre. Campaigners have strongly opposed the plan, though, with Wildlife TV presenter Chris Packham calling it despicable vandalism. And despite a High Court injunction being issued hours after the felling restarted, by then, all but about 15 of the trees had been removed. Uh, Julian, let's start with you. The works at Armada Way have been criticised for a long time now. Has the council gone too far here, do you think? Well, it's obviously very distressing and distressing for the residents of Plymouth. I, I, if I'm honest, I don't know the details of the regeneration plan, but they've gone out to consultation. And what I understand is the people of Plymouth have said, no, they don't want it. So it seems rather perverse that they then pressed ahead with this wanton destruction of mature trees in order to create something that actually the people of Plymouth don't really want. Philip, what are your views on this? It's obviously a move that was very controversial by the council leader, Richard Bingley. It was within his power to go ahead with with the tree felling, but it was done under the cover of darkness. It was done when people, a lot of people had gone to bed and weren't really aware of what was happening. Was this quite underhanded, do you think? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking a little bit at a time because obviously I'm not down in Plymouth and I don't I don't know the background to the scheme. And, and, and you did mention earlier that's been going on for an awful long time. So no doubt there's been an awful lot of to and fro and people have got involved. And of course, people uh, feel very strongly about trees and the path of trees. But of course, if you're talking about a regeneration scheme and they're looking to, to re Put, plant these trees into other areas and to make things if there's betterment into the way that they're going obviously it's the business of Plymouth uh, City Council to go about their business as they see fit of course if you do put out by, um, uh, asking people uh, what their views are there'd be many many people that would have been anti taking the trees down and, and the general principle I'm pretty sure would be that we all uh, agree that we don't want to take the trees down but this is a scheme that is obviously is quite important to um, Plymouth and they're obviously working up the way they're doing their regeneration they're working through the path of travel to make this work in the best way that they can and i'm sure they've thought it through and then they're more it it appears uh from the face of it that they're they're more than uh, replanting the trees in in a different way in a different area in in going forward what do you make of that julian would you ever support a scheme that had 100 odd trees chopped down if it did mean betterment in the long term well i mean that's 
I mean, what you're supposing there is it will mean betterment. The people of Plymouth obviously don't think it will. And, and that, I think, is a breakdown between the city council and its residents. And, and that's a serious, serious problem. I mean, the leader of the council may well have the power to do what he's done. But in the end, he's... Well, I, I mean, I think he loses credibility because he's done something that people didn't want. And look, I've seen it here, happen here in the South Hams. They throw, they bandy this word around like it's all about regeneration and making it better and things like that. But actually, is it? I mean, you can't just say regeneration is, you know, just, oh, well, if it's regeneration, it must go ahead. That That's not the case. You've got to get it right. My own view is, is I think you know, I think it's it's a tragedy that these mature trees have been cut down, and they should have come up with a scheme that somehow encompassed those trees that were there already. And quite frankly, cutting down a tree that is what nearly a hundred years old and replacing it with a sapling is, <laughs> you know, I mean, that's just that's that's you know, if you don't mind the sort of pun, that's apples and pears. I mean, a mature tree and the ecosystems that that, in, that 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 contains within a mature tree compared to a sapling is 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 they're, they're they're incomparable. You can't compare them. I just think it's incredibly disappointing, and it's not how democracy should work, and it's not how local authorities should work. And unfortunately, we see it across many local authorities where senior officers and senior councillors seem to think that they know best. Uh, when actually they're there to serve the people that they represent, not sort of go off down some cul-de-sac and some vanity project, which they think will, you know, will sort of leave them, leave their legacy in light. So, I, I, I mean, I'm, in, I'm incredibly upset and disappointed, and as are the people of Plymouth. It is just worth saying, uh, Assistant Chief Executive Giles Perrett said, we need to get on with this scheme. We've listened, we have made more environmental improvements and we've added more trees, but our core priority has to be creating a smart, business-friendly, attractive city centre. We cannot lose sight of why we wanted this scheme to happen in the first place. Just say on that, I, you know, it's outrageous and unelected senior council officer starts telling people in Plymouth what's good for them. If it's such a good plan and such a good idea, explain it to the people of Plymouth and they'll support it. But he's obviously failed to do that. And then he's got the cheek to start spouting out about, oh, well, this is all, you know, it's all bus plus, plus, plus. I, I, I think it's disgraceful. It's worth saying it was an executive order signed by Richard Bingley, who I suppose is the democratically elected leader of Plymouth. Rob? I'll throw this to Philip and, and Julian. This is something that, that you can come in on as well afterwards. One of the arguments for pushing it ahead now was the upcoming local elections and the bird nesting season. Is that a good enough justification, do you think? Mm, that's only part of the process. I, th I think really what I'd like to do, and I know I uh, understand Julian was is pushing a, a slightly political agenda here, but but for me, I just want to focus on what the issue is. I don't I don't understand all of all of what's gone on, but the issue is Irene, is the tree felling a good thing or not? Do you know what? When we do strategic planning, so let's just let's just cut back to the chase to get back to the beginning of once upon a time. As soon as we start doing strategic planning, very often strategic planning means having a vision and a view that. Tough decisions have to be made um, to get to the place where you want to be. I can only assume that what they're trying to do is, and, and I'm sorry, I, I don't know all the things about Plymouth City, so I'm, and I'm not pretending to, but what I will say is that in a generic way, when we talk about strategic planning, you need to have a clear path as to what you want to do and the, the path of A to B to C to D, how you're going to get there. And sometimes tough decisions have to be made on the way. And I can only assume 
that this is part of the tough decision making in getting the strategic planning and the regeneration and the, and uh, what the city are trying to achieve in that in that focus. And I'm trying to bring it into focus of it all because this is funneling down to should we cut the trees down or not and i understand that that's a question should that have been happened but this is a much bigger picture i think a much bigger picture than what i fully understand to be able to speak on on a show uh, like here because i don't have the backdrop of all of the other things that have gone on but what i do know is is that being a district councillor for 20 24 years now that when we do strategic planning yes to get to a certain place you have to have your vision where you want to go and where you want to be and there will be tough decisions to make on the way and i could only assume that this was uh, one of those tough decisions that they had to make and, and let's let's just get it right there is a commitment from the council from what i understand from what's been said here that the replacement of these trees and the way they're going to engage it in this in the process and the tree growing process uh, is going to happen in the future what i might add is a little bit what Julian and I'm not trying to be, uh, I don't want to be offensive or anything, but saying we're knocking down trees and replacing with saplings. Well, I don't know that they're going to replace with saplings. They may be going to replace it with part mature trees. I don't know that. Yeah, those replacement trees are going to be semi-mature trees and it is a very controversial topic and one we'll come back to in the coming weeks. Also quickly worth mentioning that we did try to reach Council Leader Richard Bingley for a further comment, but he declined to do so in light of the legal proceedings that are now underway. Devoncast from Radio X. Now, levelling up was discussed by a Devon council this week, with blame being thrown back and forth as to why its bid failed <laughs> in round two. Teambridge District Council had applied for £14.5 million of government cash to create a new cycle route between Newton Abbott and Torquay, but it was rejected by Westminster, not the first to be turned down in Devon. A new relief road for Columpton also failed to secure funding, as well as an East Devon bid for the Axe Valley. A number of bids were successful, though, with a total of £45 million going towards an extension to Dean and Way in Exmouth and town centre transport improvements, a new railway station at Oakhampton and a clean maritime innovation centre in Appledore. Uh, Julian, let's bring you in. Where do you stand on this whole levelling up system and councils having to bid for cash? I mean, it's very disappointing for Team Bridge and, 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 and I'm very sorry for them. I do find the way that the government hands out this money with all the strings attached is absolutely the wrong way to go about it. If you want to give, if you want to give levelling up money to communities, yeah, give it to the local authorities and let them decide how they want to spend it. But I think this sort of Making areas compete against each other, I mean, it's timely, it's costly, and I don't think it, in the end, will necessarily produce the best results. Where do you stand on this, Philip? Nearly 80% of second round bids were unsuccessful. Is it a, a bit of a waste of Council's limited resources and money? No, not at all. I mean, I, I mean, I've, I've been engaged in this process for a very long time, and I think it's uh, it's incumbent upon uh, local authorities to get schemes up together, work hard on schemes, and put oven ready schemes forward, and go to, to go to government to say we've got a scheme that's coming forward, and uh, you know, could, could we get funding for this particular scheme? We've been doing this for it's been securing money in this way for for quite a long time now, and in actually in actual fact, it's really it's really a good public process if you want to be mindful. It's not hidden from view from anybody. Devon has been successful just lately in the levelling up scheme without you know, and you mentioned just now Exmouth, Oakhampton, Appledore, but. For me, being in East Devon, Exmouth is a real big thing. Well, we've got uh, you know 15.7 million for the completion of the Devon Way 
Devon Wade Link, and some of that money is also going to go into the um, funding into the town centre as well. And West Devon have, have, have managed to secure their their, their successful bid of thirteen point four million for what they're doing. So the funding for uh, Exmouth is really important, and it and it, it takes a, you know our Dean and Wade Link that we've got tackling congestion and removing traffic from the centre of the town, and it's got lots and lots of positives. But the question around uh, saying where you are. And I agree with Julian. Mine, it is very unfortunate when other authorities and Teambridge and the like put bids in and then you don't win. But you just got to, you know, you don't always get things on the first round. You've got to get the second round. But what what's really is the focus here, what's really important for me, is that as local authorities really need to work up schemes to get them put forward to government. So as, if you could imagine, it's almost like putting a business plan forward to a bank. And this is almost the same sort of process. So what the government is saying, look, we're not just going to dole out money to you for you to prop up what may be things that are not actually going to deliver for the money that's come from central government down. And it's making local authorities really focus and concentrate. And I think it's actually, it's a good thing. Where do you stand on the argument, Julian, that it's sort of a quality assurance, this, this whole levelling up fund, and it's not just councils getting the money willy-nilly, so to speak? Yeah, no, I, I I can see some some merit in that, but I I I still just think that the way that this country is so over centralised, um, you know, Westminster has the money and it will decide, and I just think that's disappointing. I'd much prefer to see that that funding devolve down to the regions um, or to Devon itself and Devon County decide. Um, much closer to the people, much more democratically accountable. I mean, I've no idea who, who's who's assessing these bids up at Whitehall. No, never met them, never will. Say it's debated in Devon. They say Devon's got fifty million. The districts can can bid for it, and then we can see 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 the merits of of, of the projects that come forward. But um, you know, I ju- I just think it's a symptom of the problem that we have in this country is that everything is done from the centre. Julian, uh, leading on from that central debate, so if more power was devolved to Devon, would you trust the county council? I trust local politicians more than I trust people up at Westminster, quite frankly. To I mean, and, and I don't mean trust in a pejorative way there. I mean, I just think that they understand the hopes and needs and wants of their local communities much better than people do up at Westminster. So, so I think in that sense, um, I do trust them. As far as the, the budget is concerned and the cuts, the stringent, the depressing and awful cuts that we're having to make at the county we have to lay the blame where it's due and that is at the lack of funding we get from central government okay we don't do things as efficiently as we could do at devon county i'm sure and i'm sure that's true everywhere but central government has failed to give the proper funding to devon our devon mps have quite frankly been totally pathetic and useless in lobbying government to get the real funds that we need to protect the most vulnerable people so on that side of it, look, we, we've got massive issues at Devon County Council, but I, I, I still think from the other side of it, let's get the money from central government, both either for projects or for revenue cap spending that we need to do, and let local people decide bet what's best okay. for them. Uh, Devon MPs, not here to defend themselves, obviously, but uh, one of the things yeah, well, that uh, in the budget yesterday was that potholes, uh, more money for that uh, as a result of quite a lot of lobbying from some Devon MPs. We'll come on to that later on, but just your final thoughts on this, Philip, and the whole argument of power being too centralised in this country, just very briefly. That's quite a wrong statement. 
of course money comes centrally because that's how it works through the tax system and, and then government pull, pull money down. And, and the way this is done, the levelling up funding, is, is talking about how people bid for those schemes. I mean, I think it's, I think it's a fantastic scheme and it makes... It concentrates local authorities to make them work at the things that they want to do and what they want to deliver and what's important for people. So unless they've got the people behind them, and I do agree with Julian that as far as I think the best people to deliver the sort of schemes to come forward are the local authorities because they're really close to the ground. So I agree with that. But I will pick up on the issue regarding the MPs being absolutely useless. And I'll take Julian, I'll take you to task on that one because certainly my MP, Simon Jutt, has been absolutely fantastic for us and he's done a great job. So perhaps that's just the difference in MPs. I don't know. We'll come to that in a moment. Devon Cast from Radio X. That's right. Yeah, sticking to finances then, and Chancellor Jeremy Hunt has announced his spring budget. Rob, talk us through some of the highlights. Well, the government has announced that average energy bills are being capped at two and a half thousand pounds until June. Thirty hours of free childcare for working parents is being expanded from next year to cover one and two-year-olds, and the lifetime limit on tax-free pension savings will be abolished. Locally, Torbay is one of twenty areas across the country to benefit from the rollout of new levelling up partnerships featuring extra cash in which the government will work with local leaders to identify and address the biggest barriers to levelling up. And Mr Hunt also gave a mention to Devon when speaking about the curse of potholes. And following a wet then cold winter, I have also received particularly strong representations from my honourable friends from North Devon, South West Devon and Newton Abbott as well as Councillor Peter Martin from my own constituency about the curse of potholes. The spending spending review allocated £500 million every year to the Potholes Fund, but today I have decided to increase that fund by a further £200 million next year to help local communities tackle this problem. Devon County Council says it will receive £9.4 million of that extra money, the most in the country, as it's got the longest road network in England. Uh, before we hear your thoughts on this, Philip and Julian, let's hear what the Labour leader, Sakia Starmer, had to say. After 13 years of his government, yeah. our economy needed major surgery. Yeah. But like millions across our country, this budget leaves us stuck in the waiting room with only a sticking plaster to hand. Yeah. A country set on a path of managed decline, falling behind our competitors, the sick man of Europe once again. Uh, Philip, let's quickly get your thoughts on this. What do you make of it? Some say it's a a giveaway for the rich, this budget. Well, I I don't agree. I mean, I'm picking up on the headlines like anybody else would. I'm only a layman, really, compared to many. I'm not some high-faluting politician that knows all things about all things. But what I do pick up on is the fact that with limited resources as to what this particular or the Conservative government have in, in, in hand at the moment, what they're trying to do is, is to, to make things as right as they can with the guarantee, extending the guarantee of the energy um, fixed price for for people up to two and a half thousand for the next three months, extending the hours of childcare, for example, is a wonderful example of funding in, in helping the working man and, 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 and woman in, in our society today. There's lots of things we can talk about, and I'm, and I'm sure we will. But I think in general sense, especially with the pensions in trying to get people back to work, I mean, I'm an employer myself. And, and I, I speak to many, many people um, wanting to um, get on the road of, of um, uh, helping them. So uh, generally speaking, answer to your question, I think with the limited resources that, that they're in place, I think it's it's certainly heading in the right direction. And, I, and I'm, I'm pleased and proud to be a part of it. Julian, uh, just to bring you in, Sir Keir Starmer had some pretty strong criticism of the budget there. Do you agree with that? 
Well, I mean, the financial situation is perilous in this country at the moment. Uh, and uh, all, all the Chancellor seems to be doing is mending the things that his own government have broken. You know, we don't have to go back far to Liz Truss and, and that um, disastrous budget and quite frankly, tanking the economy. So I don't think he had much wriggle room, to be fair. Obviously, very much welcome the extra money for potholes, but that is a drop in the ocean as far as the sort of the overall economy is concerned. I do find it slightly perverse that a government talks about levelling up and then the, the big main line in their budget is the fact that if you've got a pension pot of a million pounds plus, you can there you now don't have a cap on it. So if you cash in your pension, you're going to make hundreds of thousands of pounds. So these incredibly fortunate, no doubt hardworking, rich individuals are going to benefit to the tune of hundreds of thousands of pounds as a result of this budget. I think it is designed to, to try and stop doctors from retiring earlier. Well, let's see if that works or not. But even so, I mean, you know, doctors retiring, that's a massive problem. What about the nurses? What about the teachers? What about the carers? I mean, there are... Hundreds and thousands of people here in Devon who are struggling to make ends meet. And what he's done is handed out a massive great hundreds of thousands of pounds to doctors so that to try and bring them in. And, you know, we all know that that's been created by this you know, ridiculous idea of preventing people coming to work here. So we've got shortage, yeah. labour shortage here and we're desperately faffing around trying to bring people back into the into the labour market. It's, it's another own goal that we're trying to okay. rectify. Uh, Philip, your final thoughts, just very briefly before we move on, because time is tight. Yeah, of course. And and I, I very much welcome the pothole situation, to be honest, because although Julian was saying, you know, it's only small and it is small, but an extra nine point, nearly 9.4 million, 9.39 million uh, for Devon is, is fantastic news. But let's get it right. When we talk about, you know, this government and all the, the challenges, you know, we had, we had a, a pandemic. I'm not going to keep up on it, but a pandemic that's never been seen before in a lifetime. It's cost billions of pounds to keep people safe. So anyway, we're in this place where we are. Um, there's more to it than that, but uh, you you guys want to move on, um, and, and that's fine. Devon Cast from Radio X. Now, campaigners have urged the NHS to reconsider plans to close a community hospital in Devon. The decision to close Timoth Hospital, the first purpose-built NHS hospital, was made by health bosses in 2018. Yes, the health service wants to move some services to Dawlish Hospital and there are plans for a new health centre in the town. It's prioritising care at home, a move which was supported by around 60% of local residents in 2020. However, local campaigners and councillors now say there's much more pressure on the health system and that more beds are needed. Teambridge Council has written to the health secretary to call for a review of the closure and Devon County Council's Health and Adult Care Scrutiny Committee will be asked to do the same next week. Julian, where do you stand? on this and the wider role of community hospitals in Devon? Look, I'm very lucky. I, I live uh, near the town of Kingsbridge and we've got a fantastic community hospital here and I will fight and fight and fight to keep that open. I think it's a it's a short-term cut and in the long term it's going to cost us. It's it's externalising onto patients uh, and I just think it's it's the wrong way forward. We all know that we're desperately trying to get patients to leave hospitals and the community hospitals act as a halfway house in some in some respects. And whereas I appreciate that they're talking about, um, you know, wouldn't it be nice to have care at home? And of course it would. But where are the carers? We, you, you know, they're just not there. So this idea, it's a sort of fantasy that, that everyone's going to be able to be looked after at home. They're not because we don't have 
we don't have the carers that would be able to do that so all power to them to try and keep that hospital open i think it's a retrograde step and that the community hospitals are a fantastic resource for local people and 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 i and i very much hope that they don't close anymore or indeed reopen them Julian, the NHS says that it finds care at home more effective than having Timoth Hospital open. It says that budget uh, constraints are, are, are making it difficult for them to keep it open without moving services elsewhere. Uh, what, are your, what are your views on that? The, I mean, the thing is, is, is they're centralised and they want all the patients to travel to their hospital. They, they, they then want the patients to be discharged from their hospitals and there's nowhere to discharge them because they haven't got the care packages in the community to discharge them. Therefore, there's, you know, there's bed blocking, awful term. But it's true. I mean, there's, there's no joined up thinking here. You know, if, if there were care packages in the community for people to be looked after in their homes, go ahead and do it. If you've got community hospitals, you can discharge people to the community hospitals. So, you know, I just don't think it's joined up thinking. And I just think it's a short term budget regain, which in the long term will cost them more. Philip, what are your thoughts on this? Uh, Julian and I are absolutely, uh, with most of what he said, absolutely agree. I mean, Tinmouth, please fight and fight and fight to keep your hospital. The NHS needs drastic reforms into the way it's going forward. I actually think community hospitals are really, really important in going forward. And let's just like in a little bit back to the days when we, we decided to move away from the railways and we moved away from where we shut the stations, then tore up the lines. And here we are now, 50 years on, we think, oh, well, that was a bit of a mistake. Wasn't it? And it's almost the same thing here. You know, we're, we're sort of, um, and I know, I know it's not apples and, and it's a bit apples and pears, but I think when you have the major hospitals that do the major surgeries and they do all those things, and it's really important, that's where people go and that's where the main doctors go. And there comes a time when people then want nursing. And the place to do that nursing surely has to be nearer the homes of to where those people live for family and friends and the like to visit those people to help them along. And you get them back close to their families. So you do your main surgery and your main parts and the healthcare. But when it comes to nursing, surely the smaller hospitals can pick up, the community hospitals can pick up some of this work. And it's like three stages. You have serious, serious surgery. You then come back and they'll be, be looked after into the community hospital. And then you end up, you can finally make your way home in a bit of care. And, and Julian makes a very good point. Where are the carers and the nurses? And I think that's where the reforms want to come. They want to be looking at, instead of it being so centralised, it needs to be coming back here. And I think it's a grave mistake closing community hospitals at this moment in time. Very supportive of what Teamworth are doing. And it's just worth saying, uh, the Torbay and South Devon NHS Foundation Trust recently told the BBC that it acknowledged local people had continuing concerns and they're hoping to form a local group to discuss the future of the site. Devoncast from Radio X. Now, Fisherman Friends the Musical is on tour and has audiences hooked across the UK. The show returns to Devon next month, near to where it all began for the Sea Shanty Group. To end this week's show, Radio X's Jamie Taylor spoke to Duncan Roberts, who plays one of the main leads to see if it's all going swimmingly. We um, started, as you know, back in um, 2022 in the halls for Cornwall for a limited, you know, see how it how it progressed from there. And I was oh, obviously, it was a manner to the heavens for the Cornish people. They loved it. And we've taken on now a, a big tour. We've also been to, to um, Toronto in Canada for two months over the Christmas period. What was Terrific. the reaction overseas then? Because it's quite, you know, it's, a, it's an English story, isn't it? What was the reaction like overseas? 
Well, if I can say that, um, um, I think the third night over there, we were met by a deputation who are the, the committee of <laughs> Cornish people living in Toronto. And of course, they were arguing, arguing, arguing. We thought, my goodness me, <laughs> the Canadians know this. But no, it was it was brilliantly received. Brilliant. And for, for those of people who haven't watched the film, they don't have a clue what the story is. Can you just quickly tell us what the Fisherman Friends and who the Fisherman Friends are? Yeah, see, well, it's, it's based... Uh, loosely on a true story. Uh, these fishermen met every Friday on the Platte, which is, you know, Bon Harbour at Port Isaac and sang sea shanties and to try to raise money for the local lifeboat, I gather, and other things. And, and then an executive from Island Records came down and heard them and thought, my goodness, man, I want a slice of this. And before he got back to London, he'd signed them up. And they got to play at Glastonbury, and they're still playing now all over the all over the world. And and we know them, and uh, they're a lovely bunch of people. And 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 that's basically the loose story. Within that, we've added a few things like a, a love interest and and stuff like that. But it's basically a story revolving around that true story, which happened a few years ago. And my goodness me, the audiences have just taken to it. I think they want to get back to another part of this story. It's all about community, really, and uh, how communities survive by coming together in times of crisis. And you can't get more <laughs> strong communities down in Cornwall, believe you me. And being a Cornishman, I, I know. <laughs> and, uh, and you mentioned yeah, that. So before, before obviously, all the press got hold of this story, and and you know the, these people, these theatre makers, did you did you ever hear of the Fisherman Friends before this all happened? Personally, no, I haven't. I haven't. But then I've been out of Cornwall for such a long time now. I mean, I knew of of a band, but I hadn't, you know, joined up the dots and thought, oh my goodness me, these are Cornish people. And before you took this show on the road then, did you get the chance to speak to the real men themselves to kind of, you know, develop your character and things like that? Yes, yes. I I can remember going down to Charlestown, um, which I was a frequent visitor to the pubs. (laughs) And I... I remember, you know, people singing shanties in the pub. I remember that, and people getting instruments, violins and stuff, and singing along with them, and the gig races that would come over. Because you've got to remember, there's an awful lot of notoriety between fellow um, ports down in Cornwall, you know, very passionate about their town, like Padstow and and St. Ives, and you know. So there is that lovely um, sort of, if you like, competition, healthy competition between the two. But I remember all these sea shanties as a boy. And is there, this might be a very stupid question, but I was I, I was kind of wondering, is there any challenges with singing sea shanties? There's lots to it, isn't there? There's harmonies, there's different bits and things like that. Well, it's a cappella, isn't it? And that's the thing, you've got to remember the key that you're in. And we all have our various places, you know, bass and baritone and so forth and tenors within that. And so that is quite tricky. But once you've got it, it's very fulfilling. And it's a lovely soundtrack. It's, it's, it's gorgeous music. It's brilliant. Yeah, so there's an album coming out shortly too of of us singing of the band. So that would be uh, something to look forward to. Well, first they've got to experience the show. Uh, just very quickly, then, uh, Roberts, sum it all mm. up. Why should people come and see you and this brilliant cast in this show? It is one of those forgive the cliches, a genuine feel good encounter. As was the film, so is this, and people were stamping their feet and <laughs> joining in with some of them. 
And, and standing on my feet, I've never had such a response to a musical before, or indeed any play. And Fisherman Friends, the musical comes to the Princess Theatre in Torquay from the 3rd to the 8th of April. That's it from us this week. Thanks again to our guests, Julian Brazil and Philip Skinner. And we'll see you again next week for another episode of Devoncast. Catch the latest episode of Devoncast every Friday at radiox.co.uk or wherever you get your podcasts.